Psalm 42 and 43. I should say we'll read Psalm 42 and 43 together. I didn't want anyone to start reading out loud. You could. You find that on page 469 in the Pew Bibles. Children, here are your questions for this evening. How is the psalm writer feeling in this psalm? Two, he talks to his own soul in the psalm. What is he encouraging himself to do? In Psalm 43, 4, how does he describe his feelings when God, when in God's presence? Just a word about why we're reading the two psalms together. These two psalms actually go together very well. In fact, it's questionable whether they should be separated at all for a couple reasons. First of all, um, chapter breaks can be annoying and it doesn't seem natural to separate these two psalms. In some ancient manuscripts, they're not separated. Uh, also, they are to be taken together in the sense that they flow together. If you read them together, there's a natural poetic flow. And finally, there's not a distinct introduction to Psalm 43, which is unusual for a psalm. And so in case you're wondering why we're reading the, both psalms together, well, that's why. This is the word of God, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, to the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to my rock, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God 
to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. There ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, our God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the Psalms in which you seem to touch on every angle of our human experience and take us even higher, pointing us to you and pointing us to Christ. Pray tonight as we approach these Psalms that you would minister to us as you've already ministered to us through the reading of your word. Now we ask that you administer to us through the preaching of your word. So please help us all by sending your Holy Spirit. And by sending your Spirit, Lord, may we hear from you and respond by drawing near to you. We come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. A long time ago, my mother told me that she never experienced depression one day in her life. Perhaps she meant she never experienced any kind of deep or prolonged depression in any way, but if what she said is true, she's a rare breed. She was a rare breed. She was, in fact, a blue blood, so maybe she didn't really experience many emotional changes, but most of us, most of us, most normal Christians can become downcast, sometimes downright depressed, and sometimes it can go deep. I don't know if those feelings of not going deep in any kind of sorrow ever changed with my mother when she became a Christian near the end of her life. Conversely, my poor father dealt with depression on a regular basis. And even as he had faith in the Lord too, sometimes he couldn't climb out of it. And so my mother, who didn't necessarily understand. And my father, who found himself in the throes of it, my mother simply couldn't understand and would tell him to pull himself up, pull it together. I've had many friends, many acquaintances, family members who have plunged deeply into depression even though they were believers. Some still around, are believers. The fact of the matter is that even Christians can deal with some very serious burdens on their hearts. This psalm is not about having a stiff upper lip. It's not about pulling yourself together, man. It's about trusting trusting God who is true. Trusting God who is true. Whenever we're dealing with any level of sorrow or even depression, the first stop is never our own resolve. It's never counseling. It's never, it's never psychotherapy. It's never medication or self-medication. It's certainly not denial. I'm not saying that many of those things can't help, but the first stop is never there. The first stop for Christians is always at the throne of grace. Not every issue we deal with is necessarily a spiritual issue. There are other issues that play into our emotional turmoil at times. 
But I guess I would say in a sense that while things aren't necessarily purely spiritual, in some way, in some way they're always spiritual. Like everything else, our lives belong to God and we need to take even our deep sorrows to him. And that's what we find in this psalm is someone whose heart is heavily burdened and they're going into the presence of God. Some of us have a stronger composition than others. Some are more resilient. Some have dispositions that are easily cast down. But sorrow at some point gets the best of us. This psalm, if this set of psalms is for you tonight, praise the Lord. I'm glad that you'll find some encouragement. If it's not for you tonight, I suggest that you put them in your pocket for when those times do come, because I'm fairly certain that they will. It's a song of sorrow, at least at the beginning. It's a song of sorrow that we can plug ourselves into. It's written by the sons of Korah. Pun intended, that name may ring a bell. They were the musicians for the temple. But the name Korah also sticks out because Korah threw a rebellion against God's leadership and was judged for it, and yet his sons were spared, and, and there were generations of temple musicians among the sons of Korah, and that's what we find here, this psalm written by at least one of them. Here we have a song, a psalm, that's to encourage the downhearted. It's said that blues and sad songs are written to cheer you up. The problem with blues, sticking with the music theme, is that they rarely, they rarely have a happy ending. The fact of the matter is, for the saints of God, the songs and the psalms that we sing, while they may bring us deep into where we are with our sorrows, they ultimately always have a happy ending because in Christ we belong to God. Find in this psalm the psalmist speaking to himself. And he's also speaking to God, but there are other voices. It's almost like his very sorrows are speaking to him. Depends how you read it, but it almost seems like his own tears are speaking to him. But then there's others from the outside speaking to him. And so we have a number of voices in these psalms. Starts off very, very heavy hearted. His soul, soul longing to be with God. Soul longing, longing to be satisfied. so longing for God that it's almost as if he can taste it in his parched mouth. And he gives us this, this visual of a deer out in the wilderness in a place where there's no water and the deer is staggering along looking for just a drink from a cool stream to satisfy its desperate thirst. That's how he describes himself. That's how much he longs for God. And in this case, even though his longing for God might be a regular thing for him. He's longing for God here because he's dealing with deep sorrows in his soul. He's downcast. He's broken with grief. You get a sense of the intensity of what he's experiencing. Number one is 
He's feeling as though God himself has forsaken him. He describes himself as almost living off of his own tears. He feels as though he's overwhelmed by roaring waters that he can't get out of. If you've ever been caught in a riptide, you know what that feels like. The waves keep coming at you and you're trying to get out and you're getting pulled further and further out. The deep waters overwhelming him. You see, the perfect storm has risen, creating an overwhelming deluge of sorrows. Like sea billows roll, as we say. There are indicators as to why he's feeling this way in the psalm. Why he's dealing with this, this inner turmoil. Again, number one is because God seems distant, and yet at the same time, as is true in so many psalms, while God might seem distant, he's still speaking to God. Reminds me of Jesus on the cross. The very words that he utters, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's speaking to his Father who is right there. We also discover that he's been cut off from temple worship. He's far away from the hub of worship. And he may even be a captive to where he can't get back where he needs to be. Description of places in this psalm reminds us that he's away from where he needs to be in the heart of the temple where the people of God worship and where he experiences the fellowship of God's people. He's cut off. Cut off from worship, at least physically in the presence of God's people. Cut off from fellowship. And that's a good reminder to us of what our homebound, our shut-in people experience. Many people who took such great joy in being in worship and being with God's people, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, and then they find themselves becoming increasingly frail. And they long to be in worship. They long to be with God's people. We have to concern ourselves because undoubtedly there's a certain level of depression that comes along with that. Very thankful for different broadcasts that they can watch in their homes or in their units or in their nursing home or even in the hospital, but it's just not the same. They long to be with the people of God, worshiping their God. There is frustration involved, undoubtedly, for this temple musician. He's not able to fulfill his call. If you're a musician and you start to find out that you're not able to do what you are gifted to do, and in this case, what you're called to do, it's got to be frustrated. I, of course, thought of pastors. What must it be like to be kept from doing the thing that you have a passion for, the thing that you love, and you find yourself not able to do that anymore? I've never done a survey, but I'm sure the percentages are high of pastors who at least experience some degree of sorrow and depression when they can't preach anymore when they can't pastor anymore. And so there's an intensity and there's these indicators 
of why he's dealing with this, but there are also these ad aggravators or adversaries who make matters worse, who taunt him regularly. People saying to him, where is your God? And that's a regular thing, regular question that mockers either overtly or subtly throw at God's people. Certainly Satan may tempt us to think that God has abandoned us. Many times the worldly mock our faith and make us wonder where our God is even if there is a God. Sometimes our very own souls become so despairing that we want to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Voices coming at us, where is your God? But God will never say to his children, I am not here for you. Because he is true to himself. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. There are other things that come to play in this psalm. He's got fond memories that are lost, how he used to go to worship. He's got trials and sorrows even understanding that ultimately in God's providence that some come through his very hand. He's obviously having a hard time processing, processing God's mysterious ways and his timing. And he's dealing with his own soul and his lack of trust. And those are just some things that we can glean from the Psalms, but you know full well there are many things that we can get depressed over and sorrowful about. loss that we experience, grief over past sin, sorrow over fond memories that are in the past that will never be repeated, things in the past, conversely, that haunt us, sad memories that haunt and taunt. We look at a messed up world. We look at messed up loved ones. Some of us might simply be wired towards melancholy. It used to be said that bile affected our disposition. Some of us may deal with seasonal affective disorder. Maybe I should preach this again in February. Someone once asked me if I dealt with seasonal affective disorder and all the cloudiness here in West Michigan. I said, I can find it reason to be depressed any time of year. I don't need clouds in Michigan. But the psalmist knows himself. And he knows where to turn. And as the psalm says, he pours out his very soul to God. And that's where he begins to find solace. Solace in the Savior. He reasons with his own soul. Why are you cast down? soul. Remember your God. He reassigns his hope. He learns to hear God's voice above all those other voices. And he also reminds himself that he will be back in a place of worship again, if not in this life physically, at least in this life spiritually. 
And if not in this life, physically, still spiritually, it will only get better in eternity. When none of the saints of God will ever be robbed of the beauty of worship. And the beauty of fellowship. He understands, as he said, you are the God of my salvation. The near deliverer. And as with an Old Testament saint, he could only see dimly, only see dimly the Lord. What I mean by that is the Christ. But as we should always be reminded that we have something so much fuller, so much deeper, even than an Old Testament saint can experience, we have salvation in the fullness of Christ. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit puts things even in a better perspective. If you understand faith, if you understand yourself, if you understand the power of the cross, you understand that things have been made right with God. And that's the most important thing. But I trust you also understand that it doesn't mean that all your sorrows and griefs and depressions will just vanish. There's a number of songs that go by the title At the Cross, but for some reason, and you'd think I would learn by now not to step on a particular song because inevitably I'll find out it's somebody's favorite song, but I asked for forgiveness in advance. But what kept going through my mind was this song, At the Cross, At the Cross, where I first saw the light. A good start. And the burden of my heart rolled away. Praise the Lord rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. Amen. Now I'm happy all the day. It doesn't seem to fit. It just doesn't seem true. It just doesn't seem to line up with the true Christian experience. Now if the author means happy by contented with joy and at peace in soul, then it fits. But if they mean cheerful and bubbly and bouncy, as if faith were some kind of endorphin-stirring thing, that's just not the way it is. But it is at the cross indeed where we're reconciled to God that we find solace for our souls, being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Well, we do discover that the psalmist does end up with a satisfied soul. He turns to God as he ought to do. Turns to his God who is, after all, always near. Look at verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. God is always near. And he needed to discover that in order to find satisfaction for his soul. Let me put it this way, the commanding truth over all his despair and of all the vo- over all the voices is the steadfast love of God. Turns to God. He knows he will not and he cannot find satisfaction for his soul outside of God. 
so many other poetic terms here. A light, send out your light and truth and let them lead me, Lord. A lighthouse in a storm or a searchlight on land that brings him to his refuge and his rock. He hides himself in God. He hides himself in the true and sure faith that God has given to him. I'll never forget someone telling me that they believe that my faith, my trust in God, my religion was a crutch. And I don't think I thought of it at the time, but shortly thereafter I thought, it's far more than a crutch. It's far more than a crutch. He is everything to me. He's everything I need. And my whole life is bound up in the care of God. It's not a crutch. Well, the psalmist finds himself back in place where he belongs. And again, maybe not literally, physically, but certainly literally spiritually. And so there we have it. If you're in Christ, you're already on the right path. But sometimes it can get pretty dark in the journey. And it can get confusing and perplexing and even depressing at times to the point where we almost feel as though God has forsaken us. And sometimes we'll experience wonderfully, wonderful deliverance from those times of heavy-heartedness and burdens. And I trust that if any of you are experiencing that, you will. And if that's on the horizon for you and you go through it, I trust that you will come out of it. But understand that God does grant relief. And he provides solace and satisfaction for the downcast. He is the lifter up of the downcast. And so our psalm did begin with sorrow. But as is the case with the songs and the psalms that God's people sing, it always ends with joy. It always ends with joy. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you for the joy that you've put in our hearts. And Lord, even when we're cast down, our souls are in turmoil within us. Lord, we can testify truly that our hope is in you. You are our salvation. You are our God. And so we do experience ultimate joy, even sometimes when we find ourselves what might be on the brink of despair. Lord, you will never take that full joy away from us because it has to do with us being bound to you not by what we feel, not by what we experience, but by your sure and steady promise to us that you will never leave us or forsake us. You've proven that in the most perfect way by sending your son for the sake of our souls to reconcile us to you. And you've proven it to us by testifying to our souls through your Holy Spirit that in Christ we truly are children of you, the living God. And so we praise you tonight with great joy. And we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
For clothing him is 691. It is